Hey guys, Pastor Tim Harris from Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm glad that you joined us. Uh, this is the snow sermon. Uh, this would be the second sermon in the series, We Are Family, that we just started on Valentine's Day Sunday morning. Uh, massive snowstorm hit Woodburn. We canceled the evening service, sent the 11 o'clock folks home. And so now I am uh, preaching this sermon for the Sunday night uh, spot. Uh, I hope that families are listening to this at home. If you are, God bless you. I love you. Pop some popcorn and uh, watch me in your pajamas, whatever you want to do. But uh, I really am, uh, feel like this message is important, and I'm, I'm glad that you are sharing it with us. All of you joining us by video, audio, podcast. God bless you. Welcome to you. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. I want us to take a look at a family in, in, in transition. Uh, in talking about families and churches working together and families and the church uh, sharing the same vision and then families trying to uh, find their vision from Christ, I want us to think about how family life actually flows. Uh, there are long, long periods uh, when uh, you sort of fall into routines, but then inevitably there will come a change, a transition. And your family's health and, and long-term ability to stay together and stay on mission will depend on your ability to make it through these transitions. And that's what I want us to talk about uh, in this message from Genesis chapter 27. Monday is my day off, and I take every Monday, among other things, I buy groceries for, 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 for me and Casey. I do all the cooking and all the grocery shopping. I do that on Monday. Uh, now, here's the thing. I, I buy all my groceries, and I put them in the trunk of my car at Myers. And Myers is probably, what, 10 miles from my house. Now, I'm aware of the fact that when you put groceries in the back seat or, or in the trunk of the car, that they're likely to roll around the milk, the cans, all of that. Uh, so I know that my goal is to put these groceries in the trunk and then, and then ride them home safely. Uh, so I pack them in the trunk at Myers, and then I get in the car and I start driving home. Now, I'm very mindful, very careful in the parking lot at the grocery because I'm still thinking about the fact that I don't want to spill milk in my trunk. But then here's, here's what happens. I get on 31W, and it is a long, straight stretch, the, the longest, straightest stretch ever. That, that 10 miles uh, doesn't even have a bump in the road. You know, I just drive straight. And so it, it is no challenge to keep the groceries in place. There, there's no risk when I'm driving straight. I can drive 60 miles an hour straight down 31W uh, with, with no mishap. What, what happens is uh, I get to Morris Stuff Road, which is right before my house. And when I have to turn left there, I've gone straight for all of this time, but when I make that left-hand turn, that's when I hear the groceries spill all over my trunk. Every Monday, I hear cans rolling. I'm praying that there's nothing that's, that's spilled and, and damaged the trunk. But, 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 but the point I'm making is those groceries will ride a long, long time as long as I'm just going straight and, and at a constant speed and the road doesn't turn. But, but inevitably, the road turns. And so the challenge in keeping those groceries upright is not when I'm driving down the road and nothing changes. It's when the road turns. What I want to say about your family is that you can maintain that, that status quo. You, you can find a routine that will serve you. It will get you down the road a long ways. But then the road will inevitably turn. Family life is made up of these turns in the road. I call them transitions, changes. 
And there are all kinds of them. A lot of them are good, and some of them are horrible, and some are sort of mediocre. But, but inevitably, your family will have to make these turns. And the challenge is to know how to make these turns together, to anticipate the transition so that when your family has to make one of these passages, you, you don't collapse, you don't, you don't lose each other. Now, I bring that up in the context of Genesis 27 because you're going to see in, in this story from the book of Genesis how Isaac and Rebekah's family is tested in this time of transition in the same way your family is tested in the transitions. I don't want to read the whole story because I think for many of you, church folks anyway, it's probably a familiar story. This is a story about Isaac and Rebekah, the, the old parents now, who have two twin sons, Jacob and Esau. It is the time of life when Jacob and Esau are in that rite of passage. They are men now that they need to be blessed by the father. Jacob is the firstborn. Uh, I'm sorry, Esau is the firstborn. Jacob is literally the, the secondborn, although they are twins. And it is Esau who would be uh, the, the one to receive the father's blessing, Esau. But, but Jacob decides to steal that blessing. And, and if you know this story, this is where Rebecca grabs her favorite son, Jacob, sends him out to hunt like Esau would hunt and bring back in the, the, the meat. Rebecca, behind the back of the father, prepares this meal like Esau would have prepared. The whole idea is to fool the blind father so that he doesn't know which son he's blessing so that Jacob can literally steal the blessing of the firstborn son. So that's how the story goes. At the end of the story, of course, Esau comes in. He recognizes what his brother has done. He recognizes what his father has done. And the, the family collapses. Let me pick up in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. Let me just get the tail into this, and then we'll talk about it. From that time on, the scripture says, Esau, the brother, hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah, the mother, heard about Esau's plan, so she sent for Jacob and told him, listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you've done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? We'll stop right there. I'm talking about families in transition and how transitions will, will test your family. If you look at this story, this moment in this real family's life, you can identify several transitions that are happening in, in, in this family. Obviously, the, the, the death of Isaac, the father, is impending. He's already lost his vision, and the family, in a way, is anticipating the fact that the father's about to die. Uh, that is an inevitable part of everybody's family life. You know that the elders aren't going to live forever, but still somehow those, those transitions are hard to prepare for. This family's preparing for the death of, of Isaac. With that, Rebecca is facing the impending death of her husband, but, but also the leaving of her sons. Uh, Esau and, and Jacob are at this time of their own lives when they are about to leave home, about to leave the nest, go find wives and, and, and live the life that God intends for them. 
So you have that, that time of transition for the sons moving on, and you have this transition with Isaac who's dying, and Rebecca, the mother, who's, who's simply in that situation of, of, of learning to let go. All of these transitions are, are sort of coming at them at once. And truly in family life, that's exactly how it works. It isn't so orderly and nice that you just simply get to take these passages, these transitions one at a time. They tend to happen simultaneously. About the same time a teenager is having his or her you know, identity crisis, trying to figure out who they are, this, this quarter-life crisis, you know, you've got a father who's, who's having a midlife crisis. And, and this is what I'm trying to help you understand, that these transitions impact and, and affect the family. You notice here in, in, the, in the biblical story, this is a family who doesn't manage these transitions very well. If we were having a discussion, I would just ask you, you know, how do they respond? How does this family respond to the transitions? And you'll see that they, they, they fall apart. There's no communication, at least not open communication. Uh, Rebecca calls her favorite son. Again, there's favoritism in this family. It's not that the parents love both boys equally. They don't. They don't even pretend to. Rebecca calls her favorite son over, and, and they begin this plotting, this scheming behind the backs of, of, of Isaac and Esau. Esau responds with this anger that there's, there's conflict. There's all of this, this secrecy, and, and then ultimately there's just this total abandonment, this, this collapse of, of, of the family. Why do they respond in these ways? Why is it that in this time when they really need to pull it together and get through this as a family, they, they don't? And I guess I would argue that they can't. As a pastor of families, I'm frequently called in in important moments in a family's life and recognize that all of these moments are, are transitions, that they're transitions. So that when a new baby is born, I, I get to come and, and, uh, and help the family dedicate the baby in church or I perform weddings, I, I perform funerals. And it's interesting how, especially at weddings and funerals, there's always this kind of family noise you're sort of hoping, and I know sometimes a family hopes that, you know, at least for just one day, can we not just not fight? This one day, can we just keep, you know, Grandma Henrietta away from Grandma Patsy? I mean, if we just, you know, navigate this, just get through this one day. There's just always this hope that, that the family will be able to just, you know, for this one day, until we get through this, pull it together. But, but very frequently, you can't. You, you can't. Because you don't have it. You don't have it in you. The reason that Isaac and Rebecca's family isn't able to communicate when they really need to communicate is because they don't communicate ever. They do not have this skill. They're not in the habit of talking to each other and just simply being honest and affectionate with each other. This family doesn't operate that way. Now, transitions will, will always sort of bring out the dysfunction in the family. You're always hoping for something different. You're hoping that when we really need to come through, that we'll come through. But, but I just want you to understand that families don't automatically become more functional just because it would be a really good time to be more highly functional. That's just not how it works. Unfortunately for most families, we we plow right into the problems, right into the trials in the same way we plow through everything else. And, and if you don't have 
the ability to communicate. If you haven't learned how to listen to your children, if you haven't learned how to talk with your spouse, if you haven't learned how to resolve conflict and not let the sun go down on your anger, if you haven't learned how to forgive, if you haven't learned basic fruits of the Spirit like kindness and gentleness and patience, these things don't automatically come out of you when you need them. If, if they're not in you, then they're not going to come out of you even when you need them most. So this family falls apart. It's bad communication, it's secrecy, it's scheming, it's plotting, it's anger, it's conflict. And, and while they probably haven't always just had this, you know, all-out brawl day after day, this is what I'm saying. You can go a long way at a high speed for, for a season with that sort of dysfunction sort of balanced in the trunk. But when you have to make the turn, when the road for your family makes a sharp turn, you're probably not going to be able to keep everything upright and together. One of the interesting things about this family, though, Isaac and Rebecca, is, is, is their, their faith. Obviously, it's a very religious family. Isaac is the, the son of laughter of Abraham and Sarah. I mean, you, you perhaps know that story. There is this uh, religiousness to this family. And, and as I read this story, my question becomes, why doesn't that seem to make a difference? I mean, even this story, as the family literally collapses, right, in the pages of Scripture right before our eyes, why doesn't the fact that they are religious, why isn't the fact that Isaac is this chosen one, and, and why doesn't the religion seem to make a difference? Again, many of you, your, your families are, are, are Sunday go-to-meeting kind of families. Your, your families that have uh, some sort of faith foundation or at least a faith in, in your background. Why doesn't that seem to, to provide the glue that you need to hold together? And, you know, I, I look at this family, and, and yes, it is true. They are extremely religious, extremely religious. I mean, Isaac is praying, and, and they're seeking God's blessing. But, but still, as religious as they are, these are some of the most selfish people you'll ever meet, and they're in the Bible. Certainly, Jacob and Esau seek God's blessing, but understand, that is their orientation in life at this point season of these young men's lives, all they're seeking is blessing for themselves. It, it, it's selfishness. Rebecca and, and Isaac, be they a patriarch and matriarch, I mean, important as they are in Scripture, that they, they don't co communicate. That They are not on the same page. They do not share a vision for this family. So Rebecca has this tendency to, to manipulate and try to work, pull strings behind the scenes. Yeah, they're religious, I mean, Isaac is praying and he's blind, but at the same time, this is the man who's presiding in this very moment over a family that is, that is collapsing. I guess the bottom line is it doesn't really matter how religious you are. If, if as a family, you're not genuinely and, and truly seeking Christ, if you're not truly following Christ, then your religion's not going to help you. Religion is not the same as living a life as disciples on mission for Christ. And that's what your family's supposed to be doing. If you're not really becoming more like Christ, loving like Christ, thinking like Christ, if, if, if in your family people haven't learned how to deny themselves and put others first, if people haven't learned to, to surrender and, and be humble and, and gentle and 
and to conform to the image of Christ. And as I say, it doesn't matter how many Sundays in a row you go to church. It's, it's not about religion. It's not about just being church people. It's about being a Christian family. It's about letting Christ do real work in your heart so that that flows out and affects your relationships with each other. I mean, absolutely, it's a very, very religious family. But if the members of your family aren't seriously seeking Christ, it's not going to matter how religious you are. So you can go a long, long time in, in, in the same direction at top speed, but inevitably at some point, the road's going to turn for your family. It's going to turn sharply, and, and you're going to have to hold together, somehow hold together. You know, one of the reasons I feel this sermon is so important for our church family is because as pastor over these 20 years, I've, I've seen this work. I have seen families who were faithful and regular in church, and, and they seem to be living these lives of genuine discipleship. But then something happens because inevitably something always happens. You know, uh, you, you'll, you'll bury a parent or, or you'll lose a child or it might even be something happy. You know, a, a couple that has been in church ever since they were married, suddenly they have a baby and then they just disappear. They just literally disappear. Well, what happens during these transitions that just simply make families absolutely abandon their faith or abandon the church or sometimes abandon each other? How many times have you seen a married couple who one or the other will, will bury a parent and within that next year, th th they divorce? Th there's a miscarriage and within that year that that couple divorces, they're not able to hold together through the transitions. How many times have you seen that couple that once that last child uh, graduates from high school and moves off to college, the, the, the couple divorces, the marriage ends? I I'm saying I see this happen all the time in our church. I see it happen where Families will seem to be, be doing fine for a long, long time, but then they have to make a transition. They have to make the turn, and they can't hold it together. So briefly, let's talk practically about how you hold it together. How do you do that? Well, if you listened or watched or were here for sermon number one, I, I ended with, with a real admonition as a family to to, to get a vision, to, to get a mission, to be able to articulate and define your mission together. You need a bigger picture. I, I would say in order to know that you can hold together through whatever life has as, as far as circumstances will go, you've got to start with a bigger picture for your family. You have to have the, that mission, a sense of values. What is important to us? What is it that really matters to us? I heard one family's whose um, mission, their, their mission statement just became simple words. Inward, outward, upward, and onward. It sounds military. Inward, outward, upward, and onward. And, and what they meant was, we want Christ to work inside of us, inward. In such a way where his work in our lives is apparent outwardly. In relationships and the way we are in the world. So inward, outward. And then we want that faith to be so real that we will be able to, to, to rise above all of the circumstances, all the problems, all the transitions of life. That's upward. And no matter what happens, we're going to continue to move on in Christ, in our faith, inward, outward, upward, onward. Do you understand? That's a family that is at that level, at that place where they're able to articulate. This is what matters to us. This is what holds us together. It's Christ working in us. 
working out of us so that we can rise above and move forward together. Do you understand? If you're that family and you face a transition, you face a time of, of testing problems, I believe that sharing that vision, sharing that mission from Christ, it, it gives you a larger context. If you don't have this shared mission, this big shared vision, what you end up having is just multiple visions. And like the family in the story in Genesis 27, most every family member just gets in it for themselves. And so it just becomes about dad's work. Your whole family must revolve around dad's work or it becomes about mom's emotions. It becomes about mom's uh, hobbies or, or, or mom's work or it becomes about the kids. A whole family can become completely child-centered. So the whole family is just driving around in a van eating french fries off the floor and, and somehow trying to get to the next soccer game. Do you understand? God has a bigger picture for your family. It's bigger than any one of of the members and as a family, you need to get this bigger picture, get this sense of mission so that no matter what circumstances uh, befall your family, whatever uh, wild turns the road makes, you can hold together because you have this bigger picture. It's not just about momentary happiness. It's not just about the, the strength or the desires of any individual family member. It's the mission that you share. Now, even if you're a couple and you don't have children or you're in the empty nest phase, you still need that, that sense of mission, that sense of being in ministry, uh, serving Christ together. You need a bigger picture. If it's just about the two of you, if it's just about the kids, if it's just about this family and what we want, or if it's about the house, or if it's about the money or about the jobs or about the sports team, I'm not sure that's going to be enough to hold you together. At some point down the road, you may regret some of the choices you're making right now because you never had a bigger vision, a, a bigger picture in, in your mind. Secondly, I would say it this way. You've heard of people who make a mountain out of a molehill. I would say for your family, deal with the molehills before they become mountains. Deal with the molehills before they become mountains. You know, in, in Genesis 27, Isaac and Rebekah's family, that, that favoritism, the way Rebekah loved Jacob, but Isaac loved Esau, that, that's poison in a family. And, and they would have to have known that. They would have to have known that. I, I guess there are a lot of things in family life that you just have to know. But sometimes we just pretend not to know them. They're molehills, and we don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. So therefore, we just let these things continue to take root and be a part of our family's life. But, but the problem is molehills do, do become mountains. And, and, and the problems that you could face today, the problems you could manage if you would face them today, they become unmanageable the longer you let them go. Or if you begin trying to address them in a time of crisis, when you're standing at the funeral home or the hospital or, or, or the jail cell, understand it's a very difficult time then to begin addressing the problems in your family. You address them now. I guess one way to do that is to sort of ask yourself the question, what is it about your family that you're pretending not to know? What is it that you pretend not to know? In your family, there are probably these molehills, these things that seem small, or at least everybody pretends not to know. So everybody just pretends not to know how much dad drinks. 
So nobody talks about it and nobody addresses it. Dad drinks, but we just all pretend not to know that he has a problem. We just pretend not to know that mom has withdrawn and, and, and is depressed. Or we just pretend not to know that we have a teenager who's no longer talking to us. We, we just pretend not to know that our daughter is dating a, a guy who is absolutely the worst news possible for her. We pretend not to know these things. As if if we deny them or avoid them, these things will magically go away. I, I'm telling you, these things that you pretend not to know, these things that you just continue to push off into another day, sweep under the rug, hide behind the couch, these are the things that are going to destroy your family. You deal with the molehills before they are mountains. You can do this now. You can tackle these problems now. The problem is families let these molehills just grow. You let these little problems pile up to eventually your family is standing at a crossroads before this mountain of problems. And at that point, it seems overwhelming. You walk away because you think, I can't possibly take on that mountain of problems. The point is, at some point back in the past, it wasn't a mountain. It was a handful of small things that you just pretended not to know. You refused to deal with. You refused to face. If there are things in your family right now that you know make your family less than it ought to be, if you have a family member who's suffering, if you have a family member who is heading off the rails in the wrong direction, then you deal with the molehill before it becomes a mountain. There is such a time as too late, and, and sometimes we just wait way too late to uh, try to do the things that we know we should do for the good of our family. I want to talk for a moment about the church. I've been saying that we want the church and the family to work together. As I say, it, 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 this isn't rocket surgery here, people. We can see what happens in families. You've seen it happen. You've seen the widow who buries her husband and then finds it just impossible to come back to church after that transition. You have seen the couple divorce after the kid leaves home and goes to college. You, you, you've seen this. You know how difficult these times of transition are, and, and not just the bad ones. One of the hardest transitions in my life was when my son went to college, and all of that was happy. Truly, I did not want him, you know, eating, you know, beanie weenies out of the can on my couch his whole life. It was a happy thing to see him succeed and see him grow and see him leave. But, but that happy transition tore my heart out for a while. We took him to school on that Friday. I, I drove with him in the car because I'm the only family member who can, who can not cry when somebody needs to not cry. So I, I didn't cry when we left him off. I, I tried to be really strong for Casey and for Wade. But that next day, that Saturday, I, I just fell apart. It was the hardest, longest day of my life. It was a happy transition. My son was doing great. We were going to be great. We just didn't know it then. It's a transition, you understand? It's this messy place in the middle where you, you know what you're letting go of, but you don't quite know what you're heading toward. It, it, it's difficult in that moment in between where you don't really know what the future holds. And There was that moment for me and Casey when, when our marriage was tested in that. We had had Wade in our family in the center of our marriage for so long that when you took him out of the picture, we just had to ask ourselves, will we be enough for each other? I mean, I really had to wonder, 
Will she be enough for me? It's just going to be the two of us. Is that, is, is that going to be enough? There, there's a testing there with the transition. And, and every family goes through these tests, these transitions. Uh, some families, you know, it, it's a test, it's a transition just when the kid goes into middle school. I mean, all of these passes, all of these changes are, 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 are very tricky terrain that the family has to maneuver. So as a church, why can't we understand this? Well, why can't we, why can't we recognize that, that, that when families need us in these times, that's when we lean in. Unfortunately, often that's when we sort of step back. We step back. I remember when Emily Long at the graduation celebration at our church on a Sunday night, Emily cried through the graduation recognition service because she said that she could literally feel the church just sort of say, we're done with you. That's not what we meant to say. But she had been through this youth group where everything was all about the teenagers and everything was poured into the teenagers. And, and, and she was in this transition and she really didn't know what her place in the church would be after she graduated. And and she said it felt like the church was just saying, we're, we're, we're done with you. Now, one way or another, we can't ever send the signal to people that we're done with them, that, that we were there for them for that period of life, but we're not going to be there in the next season. We have to learn how to lean in. When you have members in your small group, when you have church members that you know and that you love and, and they just disappear, that they've been regular in church and all of a sudden they're gone, I will promise you that's a person, that's a family going through a transition and they're having trouble holding it together and they need the church. That's when we lean forward. That's when we step in. We have to do a better job of shepherding and helping people, helping families make it through the transitions. We don't do this very well. Let's do better. If the church and family work together, then the church has to be there in the very moments when the families need us most. We work together. The verses I read are horrible. I didn't read the whole story because it's long. But listen, this is a family. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob, their, their brothers. And Esau began to scheme. He said, I'll soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's, that's a family that's collapsed. Now, you know the rest of the story. He doesn't kill his brother. His father does die. But in that moment, in that transitional moment for, for Esau, he, he literally says, I, I can't wait till my father's dead and I'm going to kill my brother. I don't think your family's at that point. Um, but let me just say this. It's something that Andy Stanley has said before, and it's really simply this. You need to create a family that loves to be together so that when nobody has to be together, they still choose to be together. You want to create a family that loves to be together so that when nobody has to be together, they still choose to be together. The family collapses when that is gone, that, that desire to be together, that desire to be in the family with the family. This is the parent's job, you know. Parents, we have, to, we have to do things so that our kids want to be with us. 
you know, it's funny. The, the joke around is that, you know, kids are always on their phones and kids are always, you know, glued to their devices. But, you know, in, in pastoring the, the children and youth of our church, I hear more children complain that mom never, ever puts her iPhone down. I, I hear that more about parents than I hear about the kids. Mom, I'm just telling you, you really only have this much time with your kids at home. And you need to do everything you can to, to build a family that wants to be together. Because one of these days, they're going to leave your house. And right now, that may seem like a long way off, but it, it's, it's closer than you think. And if you, haven't, if you haven't created a family, brothers and sisters who want to be together, I'm telling you that when they don't have to be together anymore, they won't choose to be. I mean, mom, you could be the loneliest woman in the world staring at your iPhone wondering why your kids don't call. You understand? Your time for building that is now. These, these family years are, are, are critical. And you don't want to get to the end of that. You don't want to get to the end of that and realize that you failed to do it. You, you have to do that now. You get one shot with your kids, one shot with this family. So, so dad, join the family. L lead this family. Make a family that loves to be together. Find ways to be together. Have a mission, a, a purpose, a, a giant adventure in discipleship together so that your family learns to love each other and trust each other. So that when nobody has to be together anymore, they still would just choose to be together. Andy Stanley says, if you don't do that before they leave, if you don't create that before they're gone, you don't ever, you don't get that back. You don't get a second chance at that. You do that before they leave. You create a family that loves to be together so that when nobody has to be together, they still choose to be together. That's when you know in Genesis 27 that the family collapses. They scatter. No love, no affection, no family. Monday, tomorrow, one of my jobs would be to get the groceries home. I can ride a long way in a straight direction at a pretty high speed, but then I have to make a turn, and that's when the groceries spill. Your family may be cruising right now at top speed. The routine feels pretty good, but, but you know. You know there are problems. You know there are issues. You know that there are threats to this family. I just want to encourage you to deal with those while they're manageable, while it's today. Because sooner or later, you're going to have to make a sharp turn as a family, and you don't want to lose each other. Just don't ever want to lose each other. Let me say a prayer. God, I pray for families of Woodburn Baptist Church uh, this evening. The Lord uh, gathered in uh, warm homes, uh, snow outside. I ask you to bless them. I, I pray for moms and dads, Lord, whose children are grown and they gather tonight, Lord, in prayer for the kid in college who's on the road. Lord, bless them. I pray for the husband and wife who've never had children, who have longed for it but given up the hope now and just continue, Lord, to wonder what the purpose of their marriage and life is. Lord, bless them. Lord, I pray for children and young people who need desperately to have moms and dads who lead them on this adventure of faith and discipleship in the world. Lord, bless them. 
I pray for our church, Lord, when we all come together, all of us as families, all of us as disciples, all of us living life on mission, Lord. Lord, will you make it so that we can build each other up and equip each other so that when we go back home, we can live out a genuine and sincere faith with the people in our own household. And when we leave home, Lord, and go out into the work, into the world, into school, Lord, we can go out, Lord, as disciples, genuine followers of Jesus who live a life on mission. Lord, bless our families. Bless our church. Help us, Lord, to work together so that all of your purposes for all of our lives will be fulfilled. We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for the sake of our church and for the sake of our families. Amen.